The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. When Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Christ, Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. I just love it when we sneak in a couple of hallelujahs in the middle of Lent. Isn't that great? <laughs> All right, you, re, you were reading it. Says it says in the book, it says, say hallelujah, hallelujah, and you did it. Good job. There we go. Just don't tell Father Stephen, all right? Um, <laughs> so this is such a wonderful and fabulous and rich feast, the feast of the chair of St. Peter. Because what we are celebrating is the teaching and judicial authority of the church. Why is that so special? Well, let me, I'm going to tell you a, a personal story, okay? I was a Protestant minister. Right? I, was a, I was a pastor of an independent church. And um, one of the problems that we had as independent pastors, and I mean we used to get together, independent pastors used to gather and struggle with this particular issue, and that is there are so many different teachings out there there are so many different opinions, particularly among Protestant clergy and independent Protestant clergy, and so many men out there who are trying to find some new exciting teaching uh, with which they can entice people to leave this old church they've gotten used to and come to this new church. It's got this new exciting teaching going on. And questioning, how do we know Who's right? How do we know who to follow? How do, we, how do we measure our way through this? One good friend, one dear friend of mine, had, it was a pastor of an independent church, and uh, it was kind of a rock and roll church, okay? He was, uh, and I, I don't mean that you know, um, in a mean sense, but he was a rock and roll musician before he uh, came to Christ, and um, so he started a church, and, you know, they had a lot of good rock and roll music and beautiful praise music. I mean, I enjoyed it. And, and he and I did some, <clears throat> we did some music together. And, and in fact, we, we made a recording together. We, so we did some recording, and, uh, and it was some great friends. But I remember him t saying that to me. I don't know who to take seriously and, and who to set aside. How do I know who's speaking the truth and who isn't? And one of the problems he had in his church, because it was kind of a, a young people church, is that people would, you know, they'd come to Christ, they'd get a Bible, they'd start reading the Bible and say, hey, look, hey, look, pastor, I just read this in the Bible. I, I think we're doing this wrong. 
And he had, he had one simple answer to that. Go start your own church. <laughs> and he said that again and again, because people always come to him. You know, I think we're doing this wrong, we're doing that wrong. He said, go start your own church. And they did, some of them did. Um, because there was no authority in the church. And that's not the way Jesus had it planned. When Jesus looks at Peter and says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He is giving an authority to the church through the apostles, of whom Peter is established as the head apostle, to determine what is the truth. That they can know, by the power of the Holy Spirit, what is the truth, and they can authoritatively state the truth, so that all will know what the truth of the church is. Now, the first time that happened in history was an issue over Gentiles becoming Christians. We all know this story. The Jews hated the Gentiles for a lot of reasons. I mean, the Gentiles had taken their land. They were occupying their land. They, they exiled all the Jews out of, out of Jerusalem at one point, and then they let a few come back, and, and they felt like they were abused by the Gentiles. And so they hated the Gentiles. But then... Peter goes and visits a house of a Gentile by the name of Cornelius. He was a Roman centurion. And the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and his whole family. And so Peter baptized Cornelius and his entire family. And then he's going back to Jerusalem to let them know what has happened. But the word, already, word beat him. You know how rumors get. They fly so fast. And the word got to Jerusalem before Peter got there. And so you know what the church in Jerusalem decided to do? Kill Peter. That's serious. Read it. That's the plan. Acts chapter 10. Kill Peter. And when Peter comes back, he says, but this is what the Holy Spirit taught me through this. Gives them the whole story. And they decided, God, you know, praise God, God has blessed the Gentiles through you. But they still didn't like it. And it was actually later, around chapter, Acts chapter 15 or 16, that the church has to meet in council. They call it council. They brought all the apostles together and bishops from around, around uh, Christianity and said, what, what is the rule? What is the rule for Gentiles? And the church decided Gentiles do not have to be circumcised. They do not have to become Jews. All, all they have to do is be baptized to become Christians. And they need to stay away from idols not worship idols. In other words, the exercise of the keys of the kingdom were that the church gathered together under the leadership of Peter and they decided this is the truth. And then that was the truth. And you know what happened after that proclamation was made by all the apostles and all the bishops gathered together in council? A bunch of people split and started their own church, right? And they wouldn't let the Gentiles in. Because, and that's just, that's just the way it is. Because we live in a fallen world with a bunch of stubborn people like myself. And um, have a hard time accepting the authority of the church. The authority of the truth.
the next major time that something like this came up was on the divinity of Jesus. Is Jesus truly God and truly man? Or is he some, some kind of God in the appearance of a man? Or is he a man who, um, who God liked a lot? And actually, the heresy was that Jesus was just a man. He wasn't God. But he was adopted by God at Jesus' baptism, just like we're adopted by God in our baptism, right? And that was a heresy called Arianism. And the emperor, who was a very powerful person, this is after Christianity became legal, the emperor, he liked that idea. He thought that was what the truth should be. And he gathered all the bishops together to agree with him, but they didn't. <laughs> they says, but that's not what the church has always believed. The church that w w the apostles taught us that Jesus was fully God and fully human at the same time. I know it doesn't make sense, but that's just the way it is. And from that council, we get the Nicene Creed, the Council of Nicaea. The church exercising its authority to declare the truth, to decide what is true, to decide what is real Christianity. And what they call this is dogma. You heard the word dogma? You know what dogma means? It means that which the church has always believed at all times and in all places. That's dogma what the church has always believed at all times and in all places. So the church cannot invent something new. We just can't. They can't. We can't come up with a new teaching. It's impossible. You know, we'll actually talk about the infallibility of the Pope. Let me explain that to you. The Pope is, this is, all right, here's the whole story. All right, I'm always telling you stories, right? A pope gave some land to a religious order. I think it was Franciscans. And then the next pope said, I want that land back. And he wanted to take it back. And the Franciscans said, you can't. It was given to us by Pope so-and-so. I forget which name it was. And, he was. and he's infallible, so you can't take it back. Well, the church had to meet in council. This is the first Vatican council. First met in council and said, is the church, re is, the, is the Pope infallible? What does, that, what does that mean? And they said, in most circumstances, no, the Pope is not infallible. He is, if he gives someone a piece of land, that's not an infallible act of the Pope. All right? If he decides he prefers bacon over sausage, that is not an infallible decision of the Pope. He is only, he, he can only speak infallibly. He's not infallible personally. He can only speak infallibly when he is the spokesman of the Holy Spirit reflecting the teaching of the church, what the church has always believed at all times and in all places. That's the only time the church, the Pope becomes infallible. And it's only happened twice in history. But... It is not that the church can create a new dogma, a new idea. All the church can do is state what we have always believed from the time of the apostles to the present in all places. Now, where that came into trouble, not trouble, but where things got stirred up was in the Protestant Reformation. All right? Because at that point, it was kind of like anything goes. 
anybody could grab a Bible, say, this is the way I think that we should be, and, you know, and then my friend Steve is going to say, go start your own church. You know. And, um, but, you know, the early reformers themselves, they, they saw themselves as reformers. Not as people who wanted to go out and start their own church, but people who wanted to reform that they thought were issues in the church. And the church met in council, church keeps doing this, right? Met in council at Trent, and they said, these are the list of the complaints by the Protestants, by the reformers. And a great many of them, they said, well, you know, they have a point. And that became part of Catholic doctrine. They said, yeah, we've always taught this. Like salvation by faith. You know, the church said, yes, absolutely. We've always believed in salvation by faith. All you have to do is just read St. Augustine. You know that we've always believed this. That's part of Catholic teaching. But then they said, well, um, in, a, in an anti-mystical movement in Protestants, they said, well, the Eucharist is not truly the body and blood of Jesus. And they said, well, no, we've always believed that it is the body and blood of Jesus. So they reject that. But the church men in council to listen to and consider all the complaints of the Protestant Reformation, some of which they accepted, Council of Trent, and others which they rejected. So, but the point is that it is, the church has the authority to do that. The church, which is the bishops, all the bishops meeting in council, the church, which is all of us, the things that Christians believe all over the place, that which we share as our common heritage as Catholic Christians that We've believed since the days of the apostles. We are part of that body that says, this is what the Holy Spirit says to us. And it all becomes adds, it all adds together to the magisterium, and the magisterium then can make a proclamation. This is what we have always believed. This is our faith. Did you know there are now currently 255 dogmas in the church? And you can get a list of them online if you want to. Here's the problem with the 255 dogmas, is that they're written in language. <laughs> now, language is always imperfect. So dogmas of the church can never be changed. However, they often have to be reinterpreted into to new historic, into new culture and new society because language shifts. For example, one of the dogmas of the church is that Jesus Christ will return to judge all men. All right? Well, at that time in history, it was, con it was assumed that men include women. But now we have to kind of sp state that, don't we? Because women don't like to be included under men, right? So we have to say Jesus Christ will return to judge all men and women. <laughs> because language is imperfect. It changes with culture. And I can... One of the things that I have trouble with with a, with a feast day like today is I could really preach all night. I mean, I really could. My record is three hours. I will not give you. I will not give you a three-hour homily. <laughs> but here's here's the here's what it's all about. Because the church has the authority to tell us what is truth, then it gives us a safe set of borders. 
Now, there are a whole lot of things that the church does not dogmatically define. There is no Marian apparition defined in dogma. Did you know that? There's no, no Marian apparition. In fact, Mary is queen of heaven is not even defined in dogma. These are things that we can, some people have a great devotion to Marian apparitions, and that's a wonderful thing. There's nothing wrong with that. And other people don't really care, and that's okay too. Because there is a set of borders around the Catholic faith that the church tells us within these borders is the true faith. And within these borders, we can have personal experiences, we can have personal devotions, we can have personal opinions, we can have personal preferences, as long as we stay within the borders of that which the church has defined as true. St. Augustine, let me see if I can quote him correctly here. St. Augustine said, in all essentials, there must be unity. In non-essentials, there is liberty. But in all things, there must be charity. Let's go to God now in prayer.